Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Well, Shabbat Shalom. We've been in a series on the Epistle of 1 John. Today is the 16th and final part. So the last part of, of our series, uh, we're going to look today at a passage from the last chapter, chapter 5. Uh, and the theme of the new birth. So turn with me to 1 John 5, beginning in verse 18. And John writes, We know that anyone born of God doesn't continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God. Now the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. By what? By being in his son, Yeshua the Messiah. He is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Notice that this passage in verse 18 begins with, includes this phrase, oh, born of God, uh, born again. Now, what does it mean to be born again? What is a born-again believer? Uh, polls and surveys show that the average American thinks that being born again has, has two qualities, uh, these two qualities. Number one, born-again believers, according to these polls, are people who've had a more emotional, intense, cathartic religious experience. That's just the temperament and the psychology of certain people. So born-again people are those who need a more intense emotional experience. And number two, born-again types need a lot of moral and religious structure. Born-again people are those whose lives have, have just fallen apart. Uh, they've been in prison. Uh, they've done drugs. Uh, and they need a, an intense uh, moral and religious structure and, and strict authority uh, and tightly enforced rules and boundaries uh, and, centri- and, 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 uh, and control and submission to detailed authority. So being a born-again believer, according to these public opinion polls, is being a kind of person like this, uh, or a kind of Christianity that's strict uh, and fundamentalistic uh, and rigid, very literal, uh, black and white. But in contrast to these public opinion polls, let's look at what the Bible actually says about being born again, uh, about the new birth. Uh, Because what the Scriptures say about being born again is very different than what the average person thinks. Uh, In the overhead, uh, this text in John chapter 5 tells us three things about being born again. Number one, it tells us why you must be born again. Number two, how you can know if you've really been born again. And three, how you can be born again. So first, the text teaches why you must be born again. And there are three statements here consecutively in verses 18, 19, 20, uh, and each one talks about a a group of people, so uh, on the overhead. Uh, The first group uh, are those, the text says, are born of God, verse 18. Then there's a group, verse 19, are called children of God. And the third group, verse 20, talks about those who have eternal life. But we're not talking about three different groups of people. Uh, This text is talking about the exact same group of people all three times. These are just different descriptions, different way of describing the, the, the same group of people. But do you realize what the implication of this is if you put these three together? 
the implication is that if you're a child of God, uh, or if you have eternal life, it means you have to be born again. Because according to these verses, those who are children of God and those who have eternal life are those who are born again. Which means the new birth experience isn't, not, isn't just for, for some believers or just for certain kinds of people. No. Everyone, the text says, must be born again. Now, the background for this is John's Gospel, a very famous interview uh, between Yeshua and one of the top religious leaders of, of the day, Nicodemus. And in John chapter 3, we have this great religious leader, uh, Nicodemus, a, a leader of the Pharisees, member of the ruling Sanhedrin, wealthy, accomplished man. Uh, he comes to Yeshua, and he says, I want you to teach me. I want to get to know you, Yeshua. You're a remarkable person. Uh, I want to learn from you. Let's look at John 3, verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And immediately Yeshua says, you must be born again. Look at John 3, verse 3. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. And this statement tells us a tremendous amount. Nicodemus, uh, he's highly educated. He's a teacher in Israel, highly successful, well-connected, wealthy, uh, uh, politically powerful, the consummate elite insider. And that completely routes the popular idea that being born again is just for the the more emotional, uh, less educated, psychologically needy, uh, lower-class people whose lives have fallen apart. No, not at all. Because here's Nicodemus. He's completely pulled together. He's highly educated. He's intellectual. He's upper class. Uh, He's a political leader. And Yeshua says, you, Nicodemus, must be born again. And then second, uh, we see that Nicodemus is also very religious. And yet Yeshua says to him, you must be born again. Uh, And now that routes the popular idea. What it means to be born again is all of a sudden to get religious, to start going to shul, to start praying, uh, you start reading your Bible. That's what most people think it means to be born again. But here's a man whose life is already filled with religious structure, filled with moral structure, filled with praying, uh, reading the Bible. uh, And Yeshua looks at him and says, you must be born again. Which proves that whatever the new birth is, it cannot mean get really moral, uh, get really really religious, uh, or read the scriptures. It must mean something else. Whatever it is, it cannot be just for emotional people. It can't be just for people who need a lot of religion and structure in their lives. Moreover, when Nicodemus says to Yeshua, I I really want to get to know you, and Yeshua says, you must be born again, what does that mean? He means, if you want to get to know me, if you want to have a, a relationship with me, if you want to learn anything from me at all, You must be born again. That's the first point. Why you must be born again? Because it's the only way to a relationship with Yeshua. And in the Gospel of John, chapters 3 and 4, he gives us two major interviews that Yeshua had with two very different individuals. Nicodemus, and then secondly, the next chapter, the Samaritan woman at the well. And they're completely in complete contrast to one another. You have a man versus a woman, successful, unsuccessful, religious, irreligious, moral, immoral, well put together, broken life, 
Jew, Gentile. And yet Yeshua says to each of them, you must be born again. Why did Yeshua say this to each of them? And this speaks to our, our modern secular elites, by the way. Because our modern secular people pride themselves uh, on being not guilty uh, in their mind uh, of racism and sexism and, and classism. But do you see what Yeshua is doing here? So, for example, a lot of secular men say, yeah, I know some women who are into Christianity, into Messianic Judaism. Oh, that's okay for them. Wow. You mean it's okay for them because they're women? <laughs> because they're more emotional? <laughs> That's sexism, keeping you from the new birth. Or are you a pulled-together, educated professional? But you know that back that down in the inner city uh, and amongst the poor and amongst the minorities, there's all these churches where the people talk about being born again. And they raise their hands and they shout hallelujah. And you say, oh, that's fine for them. That's okay for them, but not for me. Why not? Is that classism? Is that racism? You say, it's okay for them to be born again, but not for me, on the overhead. But Yeshua tells you, no matter who you are, no matter what your class, no matter what your race, no matter, no matter what your gender, no matter what your background, no matter what your condition in life is, you must be born again. And that's one of the reasons he goes after Nicodemus just to make sure you don't think it's just for a limited class of troubled and needy people. You all, we all must be born again. Everyone. And that's just the basic, core, irreducible minimum of a biblical Yeshua faith. If you've ever heard of Christianity or Messianic Judaism presented, and the new birth was not at the center of it, you have heard a counterfeit gospel. And the overhead, which is no gospel at all. So the first point is, you must be born again. Second, how do you know if you've been born again? And this, by the way, is the question that keeps me up at night when I pray about all of you for the congregation as your rabbi. And the real possibility that 100 years from now, some of you sitting right here or hearing my voice may end up in hell. Even if you've confessed Yeshua as Lord at some point in your life. Yes, I know what I've just said sounds shocking. I hope I have your attention. Because most of what we hear today uh, as the gospel is based on American evangelical uh, Christianity. And much of modern American evangelical Christianity uh, is based more on a godless culture than it is on the word of God. And so many churches are based more on entertainment than on worshiping the Lord. Modern services today are more like six flags over Jesus than on entering into his holiness. And so many people are deceived today. So many youth are deceived. So many young adults are deceived. So many adults are deceived and they're deceived into believing this, uh, that, that because that they prayed a prayer one time in their life, that now they're going to heaven. And when they look around, and they see others who've also professed to know Messiah, uh, and see them being just as worldly as the world is, 
and, and they then compare themselves by themselves, nothing troubles their heart. They think, well, well, I'm the same uh, as most of, 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 the, of, the same, of the kids in my youth group. Uh, I'm the same as most of my friends who say they're believers. I watch things I shouldn't watch on TV. Uh, I laugh about the things God hates. I view websites and social media and apps that I know I shouldn't. Uh, I wear clothing that's sensual. I talk like the world. I walk like the world. I love the music of the world. Uh, I love so much of the world. But bless the Lord, I'm a believer. Why am I a believer? Uh, I guess I'm a believer because I look and I act the same as other people around me who also claim uh, to be believers. Why am I a believer? Well, I'm a believer because there was a time in my life where I prayed this prayer and I asked Yeshua into my life. Now, probably the greatest heresy in modern American evangelism is that if you pray and ask Yeshua to come into your heart, you know you're automatically a born-again believer. But you will not find that any place in the Scriptures. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Yeshua alone. And true saving faith in Yeshua is preceded by repentance and followed by repentance. Turning from sin, hating what God hates, loving what God loves, growing in holiness, and a desire not to be like the world, not to be like Britney Spears or Taylor Swift or Madonna or Lizzo or Miley Cyrus or Lady Gaga, not to be like the world and not to be like the great majority of Americans who claim to be believers, but to be like Yeshua and him alone. So how do you know you've been born again? Oh, on the overhead, these are the verses we, uh, those verses we read in First John 18 to 20. They're amazingly comprehensive in answering this question. To be born again means not just that you've turned over a new leaf, or, or just change it in one area of your life. No, it means every part of your life becomes new. 1 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Messiah Yeshua, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Again, on the overhead. Being born again means a revolution in every part of your life. Just think of the image of birth. To be born again means you're a whole new person in every area. And three particular areas are mentioned in this passage here uh, in, this, uh, in 1 John 5. Uh, that you're, you're new in your, in your mind, that's verse uh, 20. You're new in your heart, uh, verse 19. You're new in your behavior, verse 18. You're going to be changed in all three areas, your mind, your heart, your will. And if you're changed in only one of these areas... You're not born again. You've got to be changed in all three because they all interlock. So let's take a look at these three areas because it not only shows you uh, what the new birth is, but it gives you a way of judging whether it's happened to you. So first, you're renewed in your mind. When you're born again, your mind isn't just convinced of a truth, uh, but it experiences a whole new spiritual awareness. 1 John 5, verse 20. The Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him. Understanding. You see, a lot of people think that before I was born again, uh, I, I didn't believe in God, and now I do. 
Well, that's not the essence of the new birth. Because the word understanding here, that we may know him, isn't talking about just, just believing something, uh, but actually experiencing something. For example, if somebody says to you, I've heard this incredible new singer, uh, and I want you to go hear her. Uh, she's, this, she's, she's amazing, uh, and, and your friend describes her to you, and you believe it. You believe everything your friend says uh, about this singer and her abilities, her singing quality, there's this and this and that. And you say, great. But then you actually go and hear her. And you're just swept up. And, and you're weeping. And, and you're soaring. Because you've never heard anything like this. Now, are you getting new information? No. But this here's what's happening. You heard about her voice, but now you've heard her voice on the overhead. In the same way, verse 20 says, uh, to move into the new birth means you may have known about God, but now you know God. Again, 1 John 5, 20. He has given us understanding that we may know him. What this means is not that I didn't believe in God, and, and now I do believe in him. Or I didn't believe he was loving, but now I do believe he, that he, he's loving. No, you may believe he's loving. You may believe everything in the EC statement of faith. <laughs> and if you may have believed this all your life. But now it becomes spiritually real to you. Religion just extends the knowledge you already have. To become religious is to say, oh, yeah, I know I should be honest. Uh, I know I should go to shul. I know I should pray. And now I'm going to start doing it on the overhead. So to get religious means you take the knowledge you already had and you just act on it. But to be born again means you get a whole new spiritual awareness that was not there before. The language of the heart that's being born again, the language of the mind that experiences a new spiritual awareness says, yes, in the past I heard this, uh, I believed this, uh, I read this, but it never hit me. It never struck me. It never thrilled me. <laughs> it never changed me. I never really understood it. How could I have missed this? How could I have missed this all these years? That's the language of a mind that's been born again. So first, there's a radical change in your thinking, in your mind. A new spiritual awareness. Second, there's a radical change in your heart. It's in verse 19, but this verse takes a bit of looking at it, an interpretation. First John five nineteen. We know that we were children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, on the surface, it looks as if it's saying, we're children of God, and the rest of you are evil. That's not what it's saying. <laughs> in fact, what it's saying is amazing. <laughs> First of all, it doesn't say all non-believers are evil. It says they're under the control of the evil one. But more importantly, look at what the contrast here is. The first statement is the statement of identity. We are children of God. <laughs> we know we're children of God. That's what a born-again Yeshua follower is, someone who's had a radical change of identity. You know, in the ancient Near East, who you were had everything to do with your family. Identity was swept up with your family. And it was not as pliable or flexible or malleable as it is now. It was fixed. Who you were was your family who your mother and father were. That's who you were. That's where your identity came from. And therefore, this verse is a statement of identity. It says that 
When you become a believer, what actually happens is you become a child of God. He's now your father. And therefore, your identity is such that it's not your race. It's not your culture. It's not your family. It's not your job. It's not your performance or achievement. None of these things are foundational now to your identity anymore. What makes you know who you are, what makes you know you're a person of worth and value, the root of your identity is that you now have a personal relationship with the God of the universe who is your father, who's, who's now committed to you, who loves you. Now look at the contrast. Verse 19 says, now we're children of God. You have this identity in God. But, it does, but if you don't have this identity in God, if you have your identity in anything else, then whether you know it or not, you're under some other control the control of the evil one. Look at, again, 1 John 5, 19. We know we're children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. If you don't have your identity in God, you're under the, the control, consciously or not, of the evil one. If you, have a, you, if you have your identity in anything other than God, even if it's in something seemingly good, it will become, eventually become demonic in your life. If you're a child of God, you're free. Uh, If your identity is not in him, if it's in anything else, the thing that it's in, though it may be good in and of itself, will become demonic. It will ultimately have a devastating demonic influence in your life. Here's an example. A rabbi friend of mine was counseling a a woman who was in a mental institute. She was deeply depressed. She was guilt-ridden. She was a violinist. Uh, And she knew the thing her parents wanted more than anything else for her was for her to become a great concert violinist. But she hadn't made it. Uh, She wasn't good enough. And she felt devastated about it. Now, her parents did not push this on her. Uh, They were fine that she didn't make it as a professional violinist. Her parents forgave her. Her parents uh, loved her. They said, it's okay, honey. You don't don't have to do this. You, You can do something else. It's not the end of the world. And yet she couldn't get over it. She said to her counselor, this Messianic rabbi, she said, I know God's forgiven me. Uh, I know my parents have forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. And what she had done is to take a good thing. She wanted to give her parents pleasure. It wasn't that she needed their approval uh, or that their approval hinged on her becoming a professional violinist. No. Her parents were perfectly fine people. Uh, they, They loved her. But she had decided what will make me a successful person is if I become this professional violinist and please my parents. She loved her parents so much that their pleasure, not their approval, because she had their approval, but their pleasure was more important to her than anything else in the world. Now, on one level, if you're a parent, wouldn't you love for your son, for your daughter to say, Dad, Mom, your pleasure is more important to me than anything in the world. (laughs) That's actually a two-edged sword. Because here's what happened. When she said, I can't forgive myself, that's actually not exactly right. She said to her counselor, you know, God's forgiven me. Uh, My parents have forgiven me. You, the counselor, have forgiven me. Everyone's forgiven me. But I can't forgive myself. And what what this means is that she had made the pleasure of her parents, uh, the joy of her parents, the most important thing in her life. In other words, it had become her God. 
And as a result, that God could never forgive her. Because when a good thing, a finite thing, is made, is made into your fundamental identity, the most important thing in your life, uh, the meaning of your life, a good thing turned into an ultimate thing always turns destructive. Why? Because it isn't the true God. It isn't the real God. It's a counterfeit. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, they, they are filled with these diatribes against false idols. Isaiah says a man takes a block of wood, uh, uh, cuts it in half, uh, uses half of it uh, for the fire to warm himself or to bake his bread. And the other half he uses to make a god and he worships it. Look at Isaiah 44 verse 13. A carpenter cuts down a tree. It's used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. He prays to it and says, save me, you are my God. And we laugh at that, right? What kind of God is that? <laughs> That's a no God, a non-God. <laughs> and yet, Isaiah and Jeremiah warn you, if you worship it, it will have a demonic power in your life. Now, how can it be that, that a no God, uh, how can it be a no God and yet also have this demonic power? It seems to make no sense. But yes, it does. Because something that's not really God, even if it's a good thing, you know, a piece of wood is a good thing, the pleasure of your parents is a good thing, but if you make it your ultimate thing, if you make it a no God, if you make a no God into a God, it will become a demonic power. Because it can't forgive you. If you fail it, it will not be able to forgive you. You'll never get out from under it. If something threatens it, you won't be able to deal with it because of your fear. If something blocks it, you won't be able to deal with your anger. If you fail it, you won't be able to deal with your guilt. If you lose it, you won't be able, you'll be, you won't be able to deal with your depression. If you have anger or fear or guilt in your life, you typically can get past it. But if you can't get past it, it's because something other than God has the ultimate allegiance of your heart. Something besides God has become your identity. And as long as something else beside the Lord is the most important thing in your life, the most important identity you have, if you're a child of anything but God, if anything but God is your identity, then you are in the spiritual force field of the world. And that good thing has become demonic in your life. 1 John five nineteen, We know the children of God. And until you become a child of God, you're under the control of the devil. Look at the rest of the text. We know we're children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one, under the control of demonic forces. So when we closely analyze this verse 19, it's incredibly profound. And what it means to have the new birth is just this. Verse 20 says you get a new spiritual awareness. Things you knew about God in the abstract now become real to you. You knew he was loving, for example, but now you sense it. And now the Lord becomes your ultimate wealth, your ultimate approval. He becomes what you want the most. And in verse 19, when your heart actually changes, uh, it changes its affection so that now he becomes your identity, uh, your, your most fundamental allegiance. And this gives you your life back. This frees you on the overhead. And so, number one, your mind is changed radically. Number two, your heart is changed radically. And then, and then number three, your behavior is changed radically.
Look at 1 John 5, 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin on the overhead. This is the third test. So number one, a new spiritual awareness, not just an extension of your old awareness. Number two, a fundamental change in your identity, not just warm, inspiring feelings. And now number three, the one born of God does not continue to sin. A radical change in your behavior. Now, does this mean that anyone born of God no longer commits any sins? No, it's not. No, it's talking about continuing to sin. The, the Greek is in what's called a present progressive tense, a verb. So, look at, in fact, look at, John, look at 1 John 1, 8, which we looked at many months ago. If anyone says they're without sin, he deceives himself. The truth's not in him. Now, how can John say that and then say now in verse eight, five, verse eight, uh, 1 John 5.18 that anyone born of God doesn't continue to sin? Because in this verse, John's not saying that once you're born of God, you, you stop all sin. He's saying when you're truly born again, you don't continue to sin in the same way. You don't continue in your lifestyle of sin. So, for example, let's say you have a problem with anger or a problem with jealousy or a problem with lust or a problem with unforgiveness. If you really have your mind changed into a new spiritual awareness, if you really have your heart changed in your fundamental allegiance so that your identity is now changed, there will be a change in your behavior, uh, in your lifestyle, uh, in your attitudes, in your actions, and your responses, and your relationships. If you say you're born again, and yet you go on uh, the same as before, uh, and weeks go by, uh, and months go by, uh, and years go by, and there's no change in your anger, and no change in your jealousy, and no change in your lust, uh, and no change in your unforgiveness, no change in your actions or speech or behavior or character, then John says you're not born again. If you just go on the same way as before, if you just continue and you don't change, you haven't been transformed at your foundation, uh, in your heart. Why? Because your behavior comes from your heart. Look at Mark 7, verse 20. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, from a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All of these come from within and defile a person. So on the overhead, if you're born again, you are a new creation with a new spirit and a new heart. And therefore, what comes out of your new creation heart your behavior, your attitudes, your thoughts, your intentions, your motives will be different from what they were from, from, from before you were born again. And if your anger and jealousy and lust and unforgiveness have not changed, that's because something else is more important to you than Yeshua. Something other than Yeshua is functioning as your God. And that's why John ends his epistle with this warning. Look at 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is a summary of, a, of his entire epistle. And if you're truly giving up your idols, it will affect your behavior. And you will not continue on, on the way that you were. So we see in this passage uh, that those born again have, have a transformation right, in their mind, in their heart, and in their behavior. Anyone in Messiah is a new creation, a radically new person. On the overhead. So that's number one, why you must be born again. And that's number two, how you know whether or not you've been born again. And now finally, number three, how can you be born again? How does it happen? If you're saved, 
It's only for one reason. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God shed his blood on a cross for sinners. That's your only hope. That's my only hope. The thief on the cross and you and I have everything in common. There's only one foundation for our salvation. Our substitute, our atonement, our savior, our redeemer, our high priest, our king, Yeshua, the Messiah, the Lord. And until you understand that, until you abandon all hope in self, all hope in obedience, all hope in keeping the law, all hope in your own spirituality, until you abandon all of it and throw yourself on the one rock, which is Messiah, until that happens, you are not born again. So the greatest evidence that someone is born again is that they've abandoned all hope in self, all hope in their own righteousness. You know, there's only one hero in this story, Yeshua, the Messiah. He alone has triumphed where all of us have failed. The Bible says that anyone be in Messiah, he is a new creation. If the Holy Spirit has regenerated your heart, you really are a new creation with a new heart and a new spirit. You are not the same person that you were. You've been recreated in righteousness. And a new creation will live in a new way because you have a new nature that produces a new will and new attitude and new speech and new actions. That's why the scriptures say you'll know them by their fruits. The evidence of true saving faith is a changed heart and a changed life. Walking in obedience to God and to his will. One of the greatest evidences of being a believer is that you now have a new relationship with sin. Before sin and you walked hand in hand together. But when you're reborn from above, there's a radical change. You're now walking in the opposite direction from sin. And when you do fall into sin, the Holy Spirit convicts you. How you react to your sin is one of the greatest evidences of whether you've been converted. A true believer confesses their sin, hates their sin, repents of their sin, flees from their sin. And the closer you come to Yeshua, the more light you'll see, and the more you'll see the real you, and the more you'll see your sin. So the believer's life is one of ongoing repentance and ongoing faith. So as you walk with Yeshua and you grow in maturity, you'll see more and more of God and also more and more of you which results in deeper repentance uh, uh, and deeper dependence on the grace of God, which results in a heart attitude of thanksgiving uh, and, and, and rejoicing in the Lord and in his mercy. So if you want to be born again, there are things that you actually do need to do. You need to repent. You need to trust Yeshua. You need to make him Lord of your life. Look at Luke nine twenty three. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Yeshua says, must do these three things, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. And follow me. But on the other hand, you also must realize that it's God who makes the first move and draws you to himself. Look at John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. You must respond to the Holy Spirit who is drawing you. You've got to look to the Lord and ask yourself, what have I really been trusting in? Whatever you've been trusting in, uh, either in Yeshua, uh, that, that's, I'm sorry, that, that, in anything other than Yeshua, you must turn from, from those things. Anything other than Yeshua you've been trusting in, you must turn from. And you must die to self. 
there is something you must do. And yet at the same time, nothing you do merits your salvation. That's a free gift of God's grace. That's the paradox. First John 5.18 says, those born of God have a changed life. Look at John, 1 John 5.18. We know that, we're, that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Why? Because the one who was born of God, i.e. Yeshua, keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Yeshua always existed and was, in a sense, born again into this world. That's the mystery of the incarnation. And his rebirth, if you will, is the basis for your rebirth and mine. And verse 18 says, uh, because of what he did, he keeps you safe. He keeps you from the evil one. The evil one cannot harm you. Literally in the Greek it says the evil one cannot hold on to you, cannot fasten himself onto you. There's a children's fairy tale in which an evil demonic lord wants to take over the world uh, and to kill this, this child who's the hero who's standing in, in his way. And the evil lord is using this henchman to, to carry out the, the murder. And the henchman seizes the hero, uh, 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 this child, uh, and, and when he does, he feels this tremendous shock, like an electric shock, and he lets go. And every time he tries to grab the child, he jumps back, and his hands and his face are boiling and blistering and burning. So the evil henchman, he can't touch him without writhing in this incredible pain and agony. So our, the child, our hero, is saved. And the child asks his guardian, why couldn't he touch me? Why couldn't he kill me? And the guardian explains, many years ago, your mother gave her life to save you. I love that powerful left its mark, which has protected you. The evil lord and his henchmen, the, the being so full of greed and evil and selfless ambition, they could not touch you without agony. This is a great illustration of what we read in verse 18. First John 18, the one who is born of God, Yeshua, keeps you safe, and the evil one cannot harm you. And you can make this true in your own life. The child in the story was loved sacrificially by his mother, and it made it impossible for the evil one to touch him. He was kept safe by the sacrificial love of his mother. Do you see how this parallels the gospel, as all good art and good literature does? Because 1 John 5.18 tells us to look to Yeshua's rebirth, if you will, his incarnation, the one who was born of God. Yeshua's rebirth was away from the Father. Uh, he was born uh, into this world uh, in a manger. He left his Father's throne above. Uh, he was existing, and then he was reborn away from the Father, so he would die for us. He left his glory. He was born into this world uh, away from the glory. Uh, away from the safety, away from the light, so that you and I could be born into the kingdom of God, into the bosom of God, into the glory, into the light. Uh, he was reborn into the darkness and died there so that you and I could be reborn into the light. Now, does this move you? Does it begin to affect you? Do you feel the Lord drawing you to the gospel? Do you see Yeshua dying for you? So that now there's a permanent mark on you, that you are his, and he keeps you from the evil one. When you find your heart melted, because now it's what Yeshua did for you, your heart is being moved, the Lord is giving you a new heart, and Yeshua is becoming your identity, and the evil one cannot touch you. Verse 18 is coming true for you. 
you are being born again. You do have to repent. You do have to trust Yeshua as your Messiah, as your Redeemer, your King, your Lord, your Savior. You, you do have to renounce your idols and die to self. But ultimately, this new birth comes from God alone. It's a free gift of God. And Yeshua's birth into the darkness, uh, his incarnation, death and resurrection, is the basis for your new birth into the light. And you walk in newness of life by obeying 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Let's stand and pray. And music team, please. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for this great text today, Lord. If you close out this epistle that says, we must be born again, born from above. Experience a radical spiritual rebirth if we want to enter your kingdom. You tell us we have no relationship with Yeshua unless we are born again. Thank you, Lord, for these clear signs on whether or not we've been born again. That true saving faith is preceded by repentance and followed by repentance. That involves turning from sin. That we'll have a new heart and be filled with your spirit. And therefore, we are a new creation with a new regenerated life. Hallelujah. So therefore, we'll hate what you hate, Lord. And we'll love what you love. Oh, and our, great, and, and our great, greatest heart's desire will be to do your will, Lord, as a natural overflow of this new heart you've given us. We'll be growing in holiness uh, and, and not desire to be like the world. We become a whole new person, new in mind, in heart, in behavior. Lord, you become, to, you become real to me. Uh, I have a whole new spiritual awareness now that I never had before. I have this new identity, Lord, that I am your child. And my heart is now bound up with this new identity you've given me. And therefore, it changes my behavior. I no longer continue to sin. And when I do sin, Lord, I run to you in repentance. So, Lord, you give us these ways to examine ourselves and have the assurance that we are now your child and to have no other gods before us, no competing idols in my life. So, Lord, I abandon all hope in myself and in my virtue and in my merit. Lord, help me today to deny myself, to take up my cross, and to follow you. And, Lord Yeshua, we pray this in your name. Amen. Shabbat shalom.